And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Tuesday afternoon. Kevin Pelton and I bounced around the Eastern Conference yesterday talking OGN and OB, Raptors, Knicks. Time to move west and hit some of the bigger storylines going on out there. Live from Oklahoma City, Mm. Oklahoma. Tim McMahon, how are you, sir? Howdy, partner. How you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. I am okay. I'm not as good as you because you are attending what to date may be the game of the year in the NBA. (laughs) Oklahoma City hosting the Boston Celtics, the 26-6 Boston Celtics tonight in Oklahoma City. The previous game of the year was supposedly Oklahoma City-Denver, and Oklahoma City just destroyed the Nuggets on the road over the weekend. This is a game between uh, the number two seed in the West and number one seed in the East, two of the top three teams in net rating for the season. Uh, I, Given that it's already Tuesday afternoon, I don't want to preview it or anything like that, but you just returned from Oklahoma City shoot-around. Any, anything of note, any... Any interesting tidbits from the Thunder? Well, Zach, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll see how this goes. My previous trip to Oklahoma City this year was to see uh, the Thunder against the Nuggets for the first time, and the Nuggets won that game by approximately 73 points. So if it doesn't go well for the Thunder, I might be banned from another NBA arena. But I, you know, the Thunder are obviously feeling good about the way things are going, but this is such a Sam Presti uh, programmed team, such a a bunch of guys who are just, you know, just focused on the work, you know, stacking good days, blah blah. Every cliche you can think of, you know. I, I asked Chet Holmgren, "Hey, what do you think you've proved this year?" He says, "I haven't proved bleep. I've played thirty games, still got a lot of work to do." And I think that kind of it's quote unquote the right thing to say, but I also think that kind of sums up uh, the way that the Thunder are looking at themselves. You know, the, they they can see the standings. They they know where they are. They they understand. Hey, they've gotten some really nice wins recently. They've they've beaten uh, the the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, they've beaten the Nuggets actually a couple of times recently in Denver. They're sitting there second place in the Western Conference standings, but they know that it's not even halfway through the season. They know that they've got a long way to go, and this is a a team that's really going through a bunch of firsts as a group. Like you look at this core, it's not like this is a bunch of, of guys who have been through playoff series together. I mean, Lou Dortz played a playoff series in his life. Shea Gildas Alexander's played in a couple. Um, then I think you got to go down toward the end of the bench and find Davis Bertans to find any other playoff experience. So a bunch of young guys who are already really good, have a chance to be great, have a chance to open up a window that's going to last for a while, but you're not going to get a whole lot of big picture talk out of that group. Well, you wrote the story at the beginning of the season about the Thunder and their patient approach to the season and Sam Presti before the season saying, you know, what, what do you say we have to finish our breakfast? Yeah, can we, can we finish our breakfast first? When Because they've got all these picks, everybody's trying to, you know, the trade machines hopping with thunder ideas and, and Presti's basically like, we're just getting started. Let us finish our breakfast. And he's, he's preaching patience. He's preaching evaluation and discovery is the word that he uses. And, uh, again, it's not even halfway through the year, but we have discovered the thunder are already pretty damn good. I was going to say, so here are my four stages of thunder, uh, mental gymnastics. Stage one 
was, oh, at some point they're going to trade for a superstar. They have too many guys, too many draft picks. Josh Gideon, six picks for a superstar. Stage two, which follows stage one immediately, is maybe they won't make any trades because it's the the very thundery thing to do is to keep all our assets forever in perpetuity. And in fact, if they do make a trade, maybe it'll be the antithesis of a star trade. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be like, at some point, we just have to get rid of one of these good young players because they were too expensive. So we'll cycle Josh Giddy or whoever it ends up being for more picks, more sustainability, more infinite bites at the proverbial apple. That's stage two. Stage three is, no, this team is way ahead of schedule. This team's unbelievable. They're t- whatever they are. Maybe they'll make a trade for like one more guy. It doesn't have to be a star. It's a, that we've, we've been misconstruing the, the trade sort of uh, framework the whole time. They just need mm-hmm. one more rotation guy. And I threw out a bunch of theoretical names with Andrew Schlecht on the pod a few weeks ago. Keldon Johnson, P.J. Washington, Royce O'Neal. OG Ananobi was two at, at the high end. He's gone. Uh, just, just a guy who could be like our sixth or seventh guy. They're that good. And now I'm at stage four where th- th- I don't know what stage I'm at now, but stage four is Maybe they're just so goddamn good they don't have to make any trades. They could win the championship right now, as is. Keep everything, do nothing. Tim, this team is 22-9 and going into tonight. 18 home games, 13 road games, fourth hardest schedule in the league. So they've got some road games to make up. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine, whatever. Sixth in offense. Very quietly sneaking, sneaking up second in defense behind only Minnesota. Third in net rating behind Boston, who's first. Philly is second, having fattened up on the dregs of the league, at beating Washington to Detroit by 9 million points. And, you know, I don't want to spend too long on the Thunder because they have this big game tonight. Very big test, obviously, against Boston. My pick to win the title. But uh, to me, why they're better... They're, the, the most fundamental reason why they're ahead of schedule is that Chet Holmgren blew away mm-hmm. any reasonable projection for... He is a rookie, a sec- one of these second-year rookies on both ends of the floor. Redshirt rookie. Redshirt rookie. He's one of six Thunder rotation players, six, shooting 40% or better from three. And that does not include the aforementioned Davis Bertans. Chet Holmgren, J-Dub, Lou Dort, Kenrich Williams, Kaysen Wallace, Isaiah Joe, all at 40% or better from three. His team is first in three-point shooting, second in mid-range shooting. You, you find some people around the league who are like, well, when that when that regresses to the norm, okay, we have 31 games in. When's the norm going to come? I don't well, know. Their mid range shooting is named Shea Gildas Alexander. Yeah, and I was going to say that guy's norm. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other, so that's Chet on both ends of the floor, just dynamic. And really, in the last month, I I think maybe it was their win at Denver where it kind of smacked onto the national one one of their wins at Denver the first one maybe the buzzer beater the Shea Gillis Alexander buzzer uh, maybe beater. it wasn't that one it was one of their big wins recently I can't remember which one it was where Jalen Williams just absolutely took over down the stretch mm. and like scored all these physical step back bully ball baskets he's up to eighteen a game on fifty something percent shooting forty percent something from, some from three. <laughs> They look like a bit. It was the Knicks. Producer Stan mm-hmm. said it was the Knicks, and it was the Knicks. I remember it now. Um, they look like a a sort of like classic big three, kind of right now. It might be a little early to say that, but perimeter option number one, Shea. Perimeter option number two on the wing, Jalen. Do it all, big guy, Chet. Those two guys ascending to where they're in that conversation. I don't know, man. Like. 
no one has any sense what these guys are going to do. They operate in stealth. Um, they can zig when you expect them to zag. Like, oh, we'll just go get Paul George. How about that? Like, <laughs> right. like all those years ago where not a lot of people expected that. Although that was a trade that Kevin and Arn- Arnovitz and I called on this podcast before it happened. Weeks before it happened, but it was still. I, even when I called it, I was like, "Yeah, they'll never do that." This is Oklahoma City Thunder. They don't make big swings like that. I don't know what the hell they're gonna do. Maybe they just don't do anything. But I think, to your point about discovery, man, the only discovery I got left is like, is the thing you mentioned about the playoffs. Is that we just haven't mm-hmm. seen these guys in a playoff environment. And number two, and you're seeing it more dramatically every game, and I bet you're going to see it tonight in person. The Celtics are going to put Porzingis on Giddy and say, shoot all you want. We're going to put a wing on Chet Holmgren, try to shut off his three-point shooting, bother his handle, switch everything with him, and see how you deal with that. But, man, I don't know. I don't know how long you – I don't look, they ate their breakfast – they stayed at the same restaurant for lunch, and they got a reservation for dinner at the nicest, get the corner table at the nicest restaurant down the street. Man, breakfast is done. I don't know how much more you got to discover. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know how big Sam Presti's appetite is, but the discovery is they are really damn good. They knew going into this season that they had a superstar. Shane Gildas Alexander was first team All NBA last year. He's having that same type of season, even a little bit better this year. I think they they were probably optimistic that Jalen Williams, J-Dub, could be a a number two type of guy. As you said, what's really taking this thing to another level is Chet Holmgren has been such a phenomenal fit on both ends. And the people around the league I talked to about him this summer thought he could be this type of impact player on the defensive end. I didn't talk to anybody who thought he was going to be an efficient 18-point-per-game scorer, where now it's they've got 2A and 2B, and, and, and like you said, you add it all up, and it's looking like a young big three in the making. And then you know you get back to all your stages. I forgot which stage this was. They package up a bunch of picks and assets and go get a, a star stage. But let's that was call stage that- one before the season. I'm, I'm past, I don't. There's that trade doesn't exist right now. I don't think. Well, I call it the Lowry marketing hypothetical, where it's going to take a massive haul. Um, I think the odds of it happening are awfully slim. Um, because one, I don't think Utah's eager to give up marketing by any stretch. I think you're going to have to pay a Danny Ainge ransom type of price. And I don't think that the Thunder are in a spot where they want to do that. And the reason to do that to me is because, dude, you are in that contender range right now. You, The one thing the Thunder lack is size outside of, of Chet. You add a seven-footer who is a a finisher but not a creator finisher no pun intended but you know not a guy who needs the ball in his hands a lot i think he would fit awfully well now the problem there is if you're bumping chet and and j-dub down in the pecking order a little bit you know do you affect chemistry there do you affect just kind of not even like a pouting type of thing but just the, the the vibe around here um and then financially SJ is going to be on a Supermax contract, his next deal. Chet very well might be. Uh, I would say defense player of the year is certainly within his reach over these next couple of seasons. He, 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 has, a, he has a case now. I, I don't yeah. think he wins it now. I don't know who I would vote for now. I think there's a few guys who have cases. He, he has a – I'm going to do my all-stars later this week, probably my tentative all-star picks. He's got a case for that, and he's got a case for defense player. The guy is just an absolute stud. 
Yeah. And, and so he's going to be minimum a max guy, potentially a super max guy. I think J dub, you probably have to figure he's going to be, you know, as Wendy calls it, quote unquote, fun max. And then, so do you want to bring in another guy who's going to have another huge, you know, you start figuring the finances. So I think your stage three was role player. I call that the Dorian Finney-Smith hypothetical. Yeah, he was on or my that, list of my- like, the the Nets are, not that I want to spend much time with them, but the Nets, if you had to ask me like who are two or three of my wild card teams that not a lot of people are talking about at the trade deadline, the Nets are one of them because they're just kind of treading water. They're on a losing streak lately. They have a million wings. They have some extra picks from other teams, but they don't control their own picks. They're just in this kind of netherworld where I think it's clear like, Mikhail Bridges is a very good player, but he's not the guy on a great yeah. team, which is no shame. That's There's not a lot of guys, and like mm-hmm. you may not be able to ever get one. I just think there's a lot of different directions they can go, the simplest of which is, all right, we're not that good. Everybody wants big wings who can play the four. What do you want? For, what could we get for Dorian Finney-Smith and or Royce O'Neal? Right. Um, you know, and I think there's an argument to be made for getting a bigger 3 and D type of wing in here uh, in, in Oklahoma City. Um but honestly, if you if you told me to try to predict what Presty's going to do, I don't think I, I would go with with the last stage that he's just going to let this group play this season, you know, continue to uh, evolve, continue to kind of see how they mesh together, how they fit together, let them get the test of the playoffs this year, see how it goes, and then figure going into to next season, okay. What do we want to do at this point? He's he's definitely not in any kind of in any kind of rush. There's no ur- I don't want to say there's not urgency. There's not urgency to to add to the mix. I would say I'm not saying he won't do something if it's a smart move that makes sense. But he, Sam Presti's not sitting there. Those picks aren't burning a hole in his pocket. I can promise you that. Yeah, I mean, they're top three guys. If it's too early to call them like a proven big three, that's fine. I get that. Like Chet's played 30 games, whatever, in the NBA. That makes a lot of sense. I think, I think you know, look, before, over the summer, we were all kind of already talking, mapping out the future of this team, thinking Giddy feels like the piece that's kind of least yep. certain among their top five or six guys. And like Dort's good, but how good is he? And the, the answer is, if this dude shoots 40% from three <laughs> like this, it's ridiculous how good he could be if in terms of a role player. I mean, 38% for his defense as the fifth offensive option. You'll take that in a heartbeat. But I think it was like five, six weeks ago. I don't remember who I had on. And I and I said, this was before any of this buzz got out. I said, you know, the one name, and I said, I'm not saying Utah's taking calls, making calls. I'm not saying the phone is, is they're even answering the phone. I'm saying rival mm-hmm. executives, executives from other teams are asking me about, they're starting to ask around about, like, could Lowry Markinen be – Maybe get like, what is Utah kind of doing? Like, they don't seem very good. Like, should we start calling? And then all this reporting came out later. Well, the Jazz are getting calls on Lowry Markin. Yeah, I, yeah. But what's happened in Utah since then is they're winning now. The Jazz they're are like eight and three in their last eleven games, and uh, Lowry's back. And, and a lot of their losing was without him. They have kind of settled ish on a new starting lineup with Fontecchio and John Collins is now the starting five next to Markin and Sexton and Chris Dunn are starting at the guard spots. Like, I don't know if that matters, but they're no longer like in the bottom feeder group in the NBA. They're a competitive team. And they just blew the snot out of your Tim McMahon, your hometown Dallas Mavericks in Utah last night. 
So that was the biggest swing in uh, like one game against uh, a couple opponents versus the other. In other words, it's an 87-point swing. The Mavs beat the Jazz by 50 last time they saw them, which was last month. <laughs> this was a 37-point blowout the other way. That's the biggest swing according to our spat, stats and info folks. Uh, I think they said in NBA history. But so. to your point on marketing, though, the reason why I focused my get a bet overpay for a role player thunder trades on like PJ Washington yes. and Keldon Johnson was I look up everyone knows they need like oh if they get Jokic or Embiid like Chet Holmgren is dead are they gonna play big Jalen Williams yeah yeah you can always go get it yeah I guess you can get another center I'm more interested in wings fours yeah. that kind of player and Markinen is just like as a shooter who fills it up and can beat mismatches up like you you fit him right in there this team becomes Real scary, but like you said, I don't know where the hell Utah is on that, and and if they're winning, um, that well, complicates it. What I would say about Utah is number one, Utah is not motivated to shop Lowry Marketing. Oh no, no, that's never. Right? Been, no one ever even right. mentioned that. Right. Just to be clear, just, you know, just be clear. Um, and it would take a uh, again a Danny Ainge type of ransom. So look at a Donovan Mitchell return. Look at a Rudy Gobert return. Like. That kind of package, I think, to really get them to listen. Uh, but I don't think winning five out of six games. Matter oh, fact, Danny, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, they're not, that's, that's not, not going to that, change their long term. No, that doesn't that doesn't alter the way Danny Ainge is thinking about uh, the Jazz that are still very early in a rebuild. I do have an important Jazz related question for you, Tim McMahon. You and I are now older than the average NBA fan. Older than certainly the average <laughs> NBA social media user. People sometimes uh, construe age, conflate age with having old school traditional views on things. I don't view myself that way, but I want to ask you, Tim McMahon, did you have any strong feelings about Jordan Clarkson with the assistance of Will Hardy last night chasing the first triple-double in Utah Jazz franchise history since 2008, I think it was, since Carlos Brother. Boozer was on the team, chasing it in a blow, chasing the 10th rebound in a blowout against the Mavericks. Did you did you feel like it violated, it broke a code? Oh, my God. First of all, I'm an NBA reporter based in Dallas. Chasing triple doubles does not bother me. <laughs> okay? I'm an all NBA right. reporter. I'm an NBA reporter sitting in Oklahoma City right now. Okay, there have been some triple doubles that have been chased in Oklahoma City. Chasing a triple double does not bother me. No, <laughs> no. I, I loved it. it. It had been fifty eight hundred days. Asterisk. Rookie Rubio had one in a playoff game. Fifty eight hundred days between regular season triple doubles for the Utah Jazz. I did not mind Jordan Clarkson chasing that one iota. You know, the last time they played, I mentioned that. That's the night that Luca had a uh, 25-point triple-double by halftime. In, ha in the first half, I know. Yeah. I loved it. it. It was fun. Chasing the rebound is the most... Uh, is the least offensive of the three categories to hunt like like you like if to, unless you do the Ricky Davis which is a whole different thing but if it's it's like you're over hustling that's fine like you're over you maybe you're rooting for your teammates to miss so you can get an offensive rebound that's a little that's well, the, a little and then um, there's also the, the teammates boxing out for you you know yeah. the, the you know the old Steven Adams and you know what you know what really won me over 
End of the third quarter, Jordan Clarkson gets the ball 75 feet from the basket with one second left. And you know what he did? He heaved it. He heaved it ahead of the clock. He didn't keep it and say, oh, oh no, the clock ran out. Now I'll heave it to preserve my field goal percentage. He went for the one-handed slingshot heave, and the basketball gods saw that, and they said, you know what, Jordan Clarkson? Go get a triple-double. We don't care. From a... An ESPN programming perspective, the biggest story in the Western Conference currently is that the Los Angeles Lakers are a 500 team through 34 games. They have slumped after winning the in-season tournament. And boy, Tim, as I joked on today's episode of Low Post Podcast, it really, I mean, the in-season tournament, it just I, I don't know when the expiration date comes on when the Lakers can stop referring to the hardship of playing in the in-season tournament as an explanation for their slump, but it's it, it passed, for the Pacers, it passed like two weeks ago. They stopped talking about it. It just started winning some basketball games. But the Lakers are 17-17. and 17. Changed their starting lineup. Jared Vanderbilt in, D'Angelo Russell out. Rui Hachimura strained his calf against New Orleans on New Year's Eve. Injury timetable, as uh, I checked McTen's uh, Twitter today, nothing new there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been saying it all year. It's a bad offensive team. I, I like just, it, Every time we talk about the Lakers on TV, which is every day, I tell the producers, I'm sorry, I don't have that much more to say. The Lakers are 23rd in offense. They're not going to do anything serious if they're 23rd in offense. And here's what, what has happened to them. Um, their defense has slid a little bit from elite to just good, mm-hmm. which if you're 23rd in offense, just the margins get a little smaller and smaller. And some of the things, we know they're a bad shooting team. They don't take threes. They don't make threes. They got no lasers. They had no lasers last year. They didn't get any lasers this year. No sharks with lasers on their heads. No lasers at all. They now are just ninth in free throw rate, which, you know, if for them, is they were first or second last year. Below average turnover rate. For them, that's not very good. 28th in offensive rebounding. 17 and 17, despite the fact that LeBron's played almost the whole season, AD's played almost the whole season. I will submit to you, I'm not sure how many 10 game stretches Anthony Davis has ever had that are better than he's playing right now. His all around game right now, he's averaging 30 a game over his last 10 or 12 games, but just the rebounding, the shot blocking, the defense, the ball movement, like he, he is playing sensationally well and yet they're 17 and 17 what do you make of this what's wrong with this team well one one recommendation i would have is to put your third best player in the starting lineup um the point to me of of getting austin reeves out of the starting lineup and putting him in that six-man role was to separate him from d'angelo russell if you've benched d'angelo or are bringing d'angelo russell off the bench then Get Austin Reeves back in the starting lineup, and uh, then you then you've got your you know three best players who I I do think he fits with LeBron and AD, and you got your three best players playing together with a couple uh, of role players in that case. Um, but you know what though, I think that Rob Palenka made a massive mistake last year just before the trade deadline, and he got a lot of credit for reshuffling the roster, and certainly it paid dividends because they went from a pretty blah team to a team that was able to make a run to the Western conference finals. But the trade that they made the, the Russell Westbrook dump that brought D'Angelo Russell to, um, that brought D'Angelo Russell to LA brought him home, 
never should have included D'Angelo Russell. Never should have included the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you put Mike Conley on the L.A. Lakers, number one, the Timberwolves are nowhere near right now the number one seed in the Western Conference. Number two, the Lakers would be a ton better off. The only reason D'Angelo Russell made sense in that deal was if you wanted to create salary cap space last summer. They opted not to do it. And don't. And it's not like they opted not to do it because D'Angelo Russell is so awesome because I was there for the most competitive sweep in NBA history, and D'Angelo Russell did get benched in that series. They still signed him. So they didn't create salary cap space, and they got a, a player who's a much worse fit than Mike Conley would have been. Conley, all the things he's doing for the Timberwolves that are helping the Timberwolves sit in first place in the Western Conference right now, he absolutely could have done those same things in uh, in L.A. Okay. So, Two big thoughts. Number one, thank you. I have been beating the, I just maybe start Austin Reeves drum like the entire time that he's been coming off the bench. I don't really get it. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to defend Darvin Ham, LeBron, Davis, Reeves, your three best players together, mm-hmm. 110 offensive rating, 114 defensive rating, minus 22 in 382 minutes. So, so far, not a solution. Now, last year, they were obviously dynamic. So, if you add all the numbers up, right. they're still well into the positive. Their, their new starting five with Vanderbilt is plus two. I'm sorry, plus six in 29 minutes. LeBron, AD, Vanderbilt, those three together are plus two in 82 minutes. I just, the idea, I guess, is size, defense, get stops and run. Our half-court offense is not good, so how about we just don't play any of it? We just get stops and run. I have to say I hate this lineup adjustment. I just, like, we just saw Jared Vanderbilt get played out of the playoffs. We just, we, it just happened. Yeah. So we already know when games matter against good teams, we can't play him with our best players because his guy is just going to be sitting in the paint the entire game, and we can only make up for that so much with defense and transition game. And he's Jared Vanderbilt actually is like a grab-and-go guy, is is much more under control and adept with the ball in his hands than you'd think in transition. But still, um, I just think they need to go all in on their three best guys. I, I honestly think their they're four best guys, their, their best quartet of players is Reeves, LeBron, Davis, Hachimura, which was their, you know, combined with Schroeder, that was their best and only answer against Denver in the playoffs last year. Hachimura is now injured. We'll see how long he's going to be out for, if at all. Those four guys have only played 62 minutes together the entire mm. season. And I know there have been injuries and rotation changes. Rui missed a bunch of games early. For those four to have played 62 minutes across nine games, that's it. I just don't understand how that's possible. I hate the lineup change. I don't think it will work. And I will just keep saying this. They are not going anywhere with a bottom. Their offense is the same as the Wizards offense. The the Wizards of Washington. Same offensive rating. Same offensive rating. You're not going anywhere serious. You can't you can win a playoff series. You can by the way, we keep doing this on NBA t- NBA today. Are the Lakers contenders? How about are the Lakers going to make the playoffs? I hate don't They're 10th. Thing I'll say I, I, is, I it's like I'm yelling at the Bruce is like guys, do you, have you seen the standings? They're 10th. The one thing I will say is I chuckled at the same conversations last year. Um I believe there was even a I think you were part of the you maybe maybe you weren't part of the panel, but no, you weren't. You weren't. But there was the 
Denver, the Denver one. Are they better than Denver? <laughs> yeah, and and the whole panel would would have said they'd take uh, the Lakers over the Nuggets in a playoff series. That was about this time. Tim, that was the day they called me and said, can you come on the show and explain why that's crazy? And I said, unfortunately, I have a meeting in the city. I can't come on the show. (laughs) They they literally were like, we need an emergency Denver person to come on and just say something. Hey, give or take, give or take, uh, you know, a 4-0 sweep. It was close. Um, But having said all that, I thought the conversation was crazy at this point last year. And they did go to the Western Conference Finals. When you have LeBron and you have AD, if those two guys are healthy, come playoff time, it's not like you're going to have teams lining up eager to see those uh, those dudes in the playoffs. No. But yes, they're they're you know they were a playing team last year that made a run, and honestly, that looks like what the hope might be again this year. And and look. I had them in my second tier of contenders this year. They've been worse than I expected. Like, I was wrong about them relative to my preseason expectations. If you had told me LeBron and AD were going to play at all-star, all-NBA levels almost the entire season through 34 games, and they'd be 500, I would have said, ooh, that's kind of alarming. Like, I I would expect them to be, you know, 21 and 13 or, or something like that. Um Look, their defense can reach a ceiling where you can win a play. You can get through the play in and win a playoff series with a with a bottom seven eight offense. You're not getting through this West two three four rounds whatever it is with an offense this bad. And it's just it's just if it continues like this, it's just it's gonna the the pressure for them to make a trade is gonna build. If we flash forward three weeks and they're still five hundred. And they've got a bunch of home games coming up. They've played a way more road games than home games. But it's not like their home games are easy. They have Miami, Memphis, Clippers, Raptors, Suns. Then they have Bulls and Blazers after a little road road jaunt. But then Dallas, Oklahoma City. It's not like these are easy home games. They're home, but they're not easy. I mean, Toronto, maybe. We'll see. Um, like, I don't... I've never gotten the sense... Like, their whole thing has been... You know, dating to last summer and all the Kyrie stuff. Like, no, we want we want to build it from within. We want flexibility. Yeah. We want mid-sized salaries. We don't want three gigantic salaries. I know this, like that that, and that's the sense I've continued to get this year. Tepidly, like like it's it's more. We want to see our team give us time before the trade deadline before we before we dive off any diving boards. But. um like I've never sensed an eagerness to go get a Zach Levine, for instance. Now that's a massive contract on a guy who's injured right now. But look, I know this. Like you don't got many seasons left with LeBron James. Like I, there will be pressure in a month mm-hmm. to cash in something with this season if they conclude this team just isn't good enough. And unless the offense perks up, like they're just not, they're not good enough right now. Yeah, and LeBron put a ton of pressure on them last year, and. They did do things to make the roster better. They didn't make the trade that he wanted. I mean, he was clear as could be that he wanted Kyrie Irving. Um, I was surprised that they made no, not even a half-assed effort to uh, to test the waters on Kyrie Irving this summer. And look, I don't know. They wouldn't have been able to get to the number that the Mavericks put on the table. I don't know if Kyrie at a lesser number uh, that was – somewhat in the ballpark would have even listened. We'll, we'll never know. Um, and then you can get into your the whole conversation about the risks of relying on Kyrie from durability standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can tell you this. 
they're not going to be one of the worst offenses in the NBA if he was on that roster. And I want to also give you props for this. I was over over. Uh, I was having a conversation a few days ago, just shooting shooting the you know what with a front office guy from another team, unrelated to any of these teams, about trades and this and that. And he said to me, hey, "I got a question for you. It's been on my mind." I said, "What?" He said. How come nobody talks about like why isn't Mike Conley just on the Lakers? And I and I said Seriously. I said what do you mean? He said, "Well, like they didn't need the Timberwolves to be in that trade. No. They, that could have been a two-team trade." And I said, "You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been thinking a lot about that trade from the Minnesota angle. At the time, we thought about it from the Russ, what does this mean for Russ? Oh my god, they divested yeah. themselves of the Russ disaster. That trade is an absolute not under the radar, but not discussed enough at the time. Masterstroke from Tim Connolly. Like that changed the entire Timberwolves team. As you said, they mm-hmm. are not having this season with Mike with with D'Angelo Russell as their point guard. They're not number one oh, in the West. Cool. Like and, and to, to, like actually, my biggest I don't not that I'm anxious, but like the biggest question I have about the Wolves now is a as a playoff, like a real playoff team. Because the pressure's right. gonna be on now. Like you ain't the eighth seed coming through the play-in tournament, Pat Bev standing on the scorer's table, like all that stuff is over. You're going to be the number one. No parades for the play-in win. No, sir. You're going to be the number one or two seed. Like there's going to be expectations now. Carl Downs, you foul out of the first two playoff games. It's going to be a hellstorm of pressure. It's not going to be like, hey, you were underdogs anyway. And my biggest question is not Gobert and small ball and defense and all that stuff. It's Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns with the ball in their hands. Mm Mm-hmm. What percentage of time are they making the correct decisions? Now, Ant, that's just about, like, do you overshoot? And sometimes that's going to be okay because he's so goddamn good. With Towns, that's like he's been wild and turnover prone in a lot of playoff games. And that's when I keep coming back to Conley. Boy, thank God he's there to settle them down and make the right decision every single time. And if he weren't there, that question would be louder and their record would be worse. That trade totally changed the Timberwolves. And to your point, I I think Mike Conley could just be on the Lakers and they'd be better. Like if they if they tried to swap point guards right now, the Timberwolves wouldn't even consider it for one second. No, absolutely not. The Timberwolves were ecstatic about that trade. Um, and you know, the when you're around the Wolves now, the word you hear the most is maturity. And like this this team's grown up, this team has matured, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's a short way of saying we've got Mike Conley now at point guard instead of D'Angelo Russell. And and Conley is absolutely the big brother in that locker room, but this is about more than being the big brother. Like you said, this is about a guy who, when things are going haywire, can get them organized, can get the ball and get them organized, but he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's more than fine playing off of Ant, spotting up. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy. It's about a guy who has experience playing with Gobert. You know, they're in Utah and again in Minnesota, their numbers as a tandem are phenomenal. He's a guy who knows how to run pick and roll with Gobert. Where, you know, when he wants the ball, when he needs the ball just to kind of, you know, here here's a here's a treat, big fella. Keep on hustling. Keep on protecting the rim. Keep well, running you watch, the floor. You watch their games. Screens. You mentioned out of whack or whatever. Anytime it gets a little tight and maybe Ant has taken like one mid-range or too many, or Carl Towns just threw a hook pass to nobody. You watch. <laughs> the next possession is called, scripted, or Mike calls it, 
a Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, empty side pick and roll, either side of the floor, because Mike is ambidextrous, basically, mm-hmm. and we'll and we'll play out of that every time. Um, so it's a very I just don't like this new Lakers starting five. I don't like it. It's not the change I would have made. And I just don't I also don't believe in subtracting a ball handler around LeBron James and putting so much onus on him to handle the ball. Like there's just too much there's like they're calling like pick and rolls for Cam Reddish to initiate sets now. I don't want any of that. Bring me Austin Reeves into starting five. Okay. Next big LeBron's only thirty nine. Just turned thirty nine. Happy birthday. Uh He's he's old. He's getting old by NBA standards. I don't know if you've heard Tim, but everything he does is unprecedented for a, a player of his age. It really is incredible. I don't mean to I don't mean to snark at it. It's just it's incredible. Um, twenty five seven and seven, just shooting fifty nine percent on twos, thirty eight percent on threes. Cooled off a he, little bit, but still LeBron he is James. still he's still an All NBA player. Like oh no question. No doubt. Like he he's steps ahead of 95% of the players in the league and in just processing what's going on on the floor and mapping out an offensive possession from six steps ahead is, I mean, we all, he's also, he's also more athletic than the vast majority of the guys in the league still. And I'll tell you what, still a six foot nine, 200, whatever, 70 pound freight train when he gets the ball in transition, he, he does the flex. Oh, I'm going to incorporate that into my, into my pickup routine, the, the, the flex. This, this I don't thing. think I don't think it would have the same effect. No, it would in fact be mocked, and that's fine. But like he can do it all he wants. I don't, he's thirty nine years old. He's running dudes over. Okay, the next big story in the West: Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker have played some games together, and that streak ended already last yeah. night against the Portland Trailblazers. But the Suns have won four in a row. They're eighteen and fifteen. They have played five more home games and road games in the 30th, uh, the easiest schedule in the entire league. Um, but throw the numbers out. What have you seen? It, the, the big three now has played 65 minutes together total. They are plus 31 in 65 minutes with an offensive rating approaching 130. So those are insane <laughs> numbers. I don't know how much of them you've seen. But what have you noticed? What have you liked? What have you not liked? What are your general Phoenix Suns thoughts? You know, my my one take that I have is I do think Devin Booker as the lead guard, as, as they call it, nobody says point guard anymore, as the lead guard, has been a successful transition. Like, yeah, what's he averaging? 27 and 8, uh, good efficiency. Um, I, I think he is a good decision maker, but... I, it was getting to the point where it's like there's too much of a load on him and on KD. Well, hey, there's a $50 million player sitting over there recovering from yet another injury. Getting Bradley Beal back more than anything, I think, just reduces the stress, the burden, the workload on their main two guys. And and now, you know, forcing the ball out of their hands is not as appealing. Um I still, you know, you, you threw those numbers out. Very impressive. Small sample size, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're, they'll be an awesome offensive team. If those if those three guys are healthy, which is a big if, given the injury histories of all of them, if those three guys are healthy, the Suns are going to be one of the best offenses in NBA history, which sounds like some grand overstatement until you realize Six teams this year are on pace to break the <laughs> NBA uh, offensive efficiency record. They'll they'll be in that class. 
I don't know that this team's going to be good enough defensively to to make a deep run. Um, I, I still have Nurkic specific concerns um, in terms of finishing and you know rim protection, um, but they have two of I'm going to say the top twelve players in the league, and then Bradley Beal is what a top thirty ish player. So when you have that kind of star power, if big if they're healthy, they're, they'll be dangerous. I think they have looked – I mean, look, granted, 65 minutes. Their last two games with the big three were against Charlotte, who stinks, and has lost, I think, 10 games. Charlotte just like, we can lose 10 games in a row. No one's even going to notice. Do you guys no. notice Detroit just lost 28 in a row? Anyone notice that? The Spurs have five <laughs> wins or six wins. The Spurs we lost, lost 10 18, in a row. and it was like an afterthought. Yeah, we lost straight. 10 in a row. Who cares? We can get to 15 before anyone will even say the word Charlotte on a tell. Yeah. 11 in a row, producer. Even I've lost track. Producer Dan <laughs> corrects me. They lost again last night. Terry Rozier sat out. Uh, was was ill, I think. And they're down. They're, all their, so many of their players are injured. They've lost 11 in a row. Who cares? Nobody even talks about them. Um, by the way, I why are, as never mind. The Spurs, the Spurs just shouldn't be this bad. I don't understand how the Spurs are this bad. I, I don't get it. That, that, that that's a whole nother conversation, and we've got to decide if we want to ruffle legendary no. feathers there. We we let's let's save that for another day. The Suns, a competition aside, Charlotte and Orlando were their last two games. Orlando's solid. Um, I think they've looked awesome, the three of them together. And yeah. I think to your point about Booker and Durant being overloaded and Booker particularly as initiator, as the initiator of the team, Beal has just been a sea change in terms of just spreading out the creation responsibilities among yes. those three guys. And if you look at their surface level shooting numbers, you'll see, as you'd expect with the three of them together, tons of mid-range jumpers, not a lot of threes, which is a concern of mine. Like I, No matter how amazing you are, how dynamic you are, there's just a requisite number of threes you've got to get up to win three, four playoff series. Just the offenses are just too good around you. Um, a decent number of shots at the rim, almost average restricted area volume with those three guys on the floor, and tons of free throws. Mm -hmm. And what I've liked about them are two things. Number one, they're running when they get a chance. And when you have ball handlers like that and shooters like that, you should run. Number two, they are, for the most part, not just doing your turn, my turn. Okay, here's a mid-range pick-and-roll jumper over a drop-back defense. Okay, Kevin, you do that now. Brad, you do that now. They're leveraging their sort of collective skills. Like, you'll see, there was a possession against Charlotte. I'm going to put it in my 10 things column this week, where Booker brought it up on the left wing. Beal, just across half court, improv, total improv, sets a screen on the ball. So Bradley Beal, who's being guarded by Charlotte's point guard, which is, which is going to happen a lot. The smallest guy is going to be on Brad. Screens for Booker. Switch. Booker, who's an underrated post player, has Bryce McGowan's on him. Beats the hell out of Bryce McGowan. Spins, drives baseline, is at the basket. Swing, and there's the first swing pass to the corner, I think, to Grayson Allen, who's mm -hmm. played quite well. Might have been Eric Gordon. I can't remember. And the possession just kept going. Everybody drove kick. Durant got it at the top of the arc. He had a choice. Open three or drive it. He drives it in and I think he dropped it off to Nurkic for an and one dunk. Like the combination of let's play mismatch ball by using Beal either as a ball handler or a screener. By the way, you can do the same thing with Grayson Allen. You want to hide your small guy on him? 
he's a capable ball handler and screener too. And is a very good shooter who can screen and flare out. But let's not just like stop the offense in mud doing that. Let's not settle for mid-rangers. Let's work it around, get to the rim, attack closeouts. Like I think their process has been really good. Defensively, they're 14th right now. If they hang at 14th, they can win the championship. If they hang 12th, 13th, 14th average-ish defense, they're good enough to win the championship. I won't pick them. Denver's my pick to win the West yeah. until further notice. But they're good enough because I think their offense is going to be is going to be that good. But to your point about their defense, I watch the minutes Durant is on the bench real carefully because they get smaller and they just, I said this last week with Michael Schwartz or two weeks ago, our buddy, Mike Schwartz, there's just something like they just lack a little like power and oomph. And like, do you feel them in your way? And with Durant on the bench, you really feel that. Although I will say Chemezi Metu is giving them really good minutes at the four and the five. And he kept them in the Christmas game. <laughs> and as a bouquet, it's like the revenge of the failed Dennis Lindsay, Lindsay lottery picks from Utah. Dante Exum and Dallas and Udoka as a bouquet in, in Phoenix is all of a sudden like giving them some oomph. You want oomph? Like that dude will come knock dudes over. And in, in, uh, in, uh, old Azubuke's defense, he wasn't a lottery pick, but he was a Dennis Oh, yeah, no, he's 27th or 29th. Or, okay, <laughs> failed okay. first-round pick. Sorry, Dennis Lindsay. <laughs> failed first-round picks. Not failed I anymore. Say, I was going to say more Dennis Lindsay's defense. <laughs> It was three picks before uh, Desmond Bain and one pick before uh, Jaden McDaniels. Yeah, the list of almost Desmond Bain, Malachi Flynn just got traded to the Knicks, <laughs> was one pick above Desmond Bain. I like the way the Suns have been playing. It's just, you know, their next they play a stretch from January 8th, which is next week, through February 4th, so almost a month, where 11 of their 14 games are on the road. And a lot of them are tough games, so we're going to learn more about them. But I, I've liked the way they've looked. I don't know if you have, so, any, and I like you know Nurk and his look. I was skeptical on the eight and Nurk swap. I would say Nurk has quieted that skepticism, and so far, I, I am wrong to have said that's a talent downgrade for them. Aiton has not been good or really healthy in Portland, and Nurkic has been giving them just regularly like sixteen and twelve kind of games. Yes, he's going to miss layups around the rim now and then. One of the things I like about the way they're playing is he's a better finisher when you can just give him the ball on these like drive and drop passes in the lane than he is give him the ball in the pick and roll at the foul Mm -hmm. line. He's got to take a dribble and make a layup. I think he's been pretty good for them. I I, I think I I don't know if I have to take an L on that because I wasn't that passionate about it, but he's been better than I expected. So... I think he is a below average starting center, but I don't I'm not critical of that trade because they had to DeAndre Ayton needed to move on. They needed to move on from him. It was not a good oh, situation. Oh yeah, it was it was poisonous yeah. there. So way. like there's that. So and everybody in the league knew that they had to move on from him. Um there wasn't a huge market for him, you know, because of contract and and you know, other concerns. Uh, and they did get Grayson Allen, who is a very important player for them. Like if they're going to make a deep playoff run, Grayson Allen's going to be playing a lot of minutes and spacing the floor and knocking down threes and attacking closeouts, and you know is at least a decent size wing player. Um, you know when I saw the Suns on Christmas night, uh, kind of the buzzword there was cohesion and lack thereof. 
Um, and you know, I, I asked Frank Vogel, like, what do you mean by that? Like, how do you see that? And he talked a lot about, you know, the, the, the extra pass wasn't being made. Right. He talked a lot about like poor communication, like transition defense, there's no communication or, or there's poor communication, you know, those, those being kind of the, the two primary examples but you mentioned it, 65 minutes total now. And and this basically almost all of those coming after Christmas of their big three together. Hopefully, KD's back on the floor soon. He, he's uh, dealing with right hamstring soreness. Hopefully, that's just a day-to-day thing and, and they can get some time together. But essentially, they're going through the process now that you would expect them to be going through late in preseason, early in the season of those three guys together. And I think the least of the concern is how those three stars fit together. It's how does everything fit around them? You know, what, what's the rotation? I mean, he's very much kind of, you mentioned Chemezi Meto. He was the guy who wasn't playing at all. Same with Azubike. I think he's good. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just pencil him into the rotation. I know Josh Okogi's coming back, so there's going to be, more competition for minutes. And look, if they get into the playoffs, which is, believe it or not, still an if for a team this talented, they got to continue to go up the standings. The reality for them, as you mentioned, Grayson Allen, very important to their team, great shooter, underrated ball mover. There are going to be series that are tough for him defensively. We've seen that against the Celtics when he was with Milwaukee. Now the Celtics play in the East and have incredible wings across the board, tailor-made to make Grayson Allen's life miserable. But the bottom line is they're going to run into a series that's a little tough for him. And to get through the play, this is like this is what the playoffs are for most teams. They're going to need to just cobble together like, okay, we got a Nasir Little game. We got a Kata Bates-Diop game. We got a Grayson, Little, a Grayson Allen series. We got the game where Josh Okogie randomly made five corner threes and we needed all of them. Like they're just, that's just when you're taken from the, you don't want an obby gets unearthed from, from the deep bench and makes right. two corner three. They're just, that's, they're just going to need bowl, bowl, baby bowl, bowl last night. Come, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell happened there, but bowl, bowl got in and like drew Eubanks will have a moment at some point. He's been out of the rotation lately. Um, I did I, on Christmas. The big report on Countdown was Woj uh, saying um, frustration within the Suns about the supporting cast and and mentioning Durant in particular. I believe um, not that he's on the supporting cast, but the frustration level of the supporting right. cast. He, okay, look, I don't know. I don't know Durant's frustration level. With it, they're not frustrated anymore. They've won a lot of games, and Brad Beal's healthy since then. I I just. I do want to say, I don't I, like. He picked Phoenix, right? Kevin Durant picked Phoenix, knowing what they had to give up to get him, and and like the trade was the trade. So you you traded Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, a million picks and swaps. Like that's kind of the team you signed up for. Is like this team, and they did well to upgrade from Chris Paul to Bradley Beal. Um, you, you can't look around and be like, well, where are all these other draft picks and young players are supposed to have? Well, you know, you traded Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. And before that, the Phoenix Suns draft pick history pre those guys other than Booker is filled with some yeah. some Dragon Benders and Marquise Chris's and Josh Jackson's. And people they forget, like, some, they, 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 tough goes. they traded a first round pick um, for Landry Shamit, too. Uh, they traded, like, the, I think it became Dayron Sharp. And. 
Like this is the team, man. And for I heard and Simmons it, say on his podcast, Bill Simmons, that Durant he had this whole thing. Durant just has to make it work in Phoenix. And as much as I want to say that that's that there's something a little bit like we're projecting our wishes right. for what a superstar's career is quote unquote supposed to look like onto Kevin Durant. I do feel like, man, I I just think it would be interesting to reverse engineer his career post-2016 like 10 more times and see what decisions he would make because he goes to the Warriors and everything works out. I've done this. I've talked about this before. Two championships, two finals MVPs. He's unassailable. But he realizes, I think within a year or two, like it's just I'm never going to get the credit. Like it's going to be Steph's team always – there's a certain amount of fans who are going to always laugh at me for making this choice to join a 73-win team. I, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. Now, I'm not saying you should have chosen anybody but Golden State because imagine if he had reached this point of his career without winning a championship, what the noise would be like oh around him. He's minted now. He's minted because of the yeah. finals MVPs. But then he goes to Brooklyn. It doesn't work out. He goes to Phoenix, and it is what it is so far. It would just be interesting. Like I, I, I do find going back to that Hamptons decision-making process of Miami, and well, he didn't even meet with Washington, but you know Boston, um, Oklahoma City, obviously. Like, was there what else could he have done? But I, I do agree. Like, frustrated or not, there, there's a very good team in here. I guess, I guess what people are getting at with Durant is, it's time to be a galvanizer. It's time to like, this is the situation, let's make it work and not, and I'm not saying this is happening or not, but not, this is the situation. Here are all the things I don't love about it. I I want, like, I think people just want to see, all right, man, it's not like, let's just make this thing work. And to his credit, he's averaging 30 a game on, he leads the league in three point shooting. He's doing everything. I just, let's have him be a galvanizer because they're, this team is good enough. I think if they can stay healthy. Yeah, they've still got a chance. And listen, KD gave Oklahoma City nine years. Oh, there's no no one nine is suggesting years. no one is right. suggesting that he owed them anything or he was wrong. If he wanted to leave, he was going to leave, and he left, and that's and, totally and, and fine. He had the opportunity to join a ready-made contender, a, a team that had won a title and was coming off a 73 win season. I can't imagine he has any regrets about that. Obviously, it sucks the way it ended with him tearing his Achilles in in the third finals. But like you said, two finals, two MVPs, and then he wanted to, you know, be able to go do it somewhere else. I would, I'm sure he has plenty of regrets about Brooklyn. That thing ended up being a disaster. Um, But like when we talk about legacy and all that kind of stuff, I don't know, man, no matter what happens, Kevin Durant's going to end up scoring 30 some odd thousand points He's going to have two finals MVPs minimum. Um, you know, his legacy is going to be, is he a top 15 all-time player, top 10? You know, wait, you think it's in closer to 20? Like, I mean, give me a break. You know, it's a, it's a, whatever it is. I think he's currently underrated in that discussion. Like I heard Bill say, I think he, someone said, forgive me, Bill, if it wasn't you, someone said he's 16th on his current, whatever, 15th. I think he's closer to 10th and like, I don't want to do it now. I just think yeah. he's being I, the whole the whole twenty two finals when the Warriors won and Steph vaulted up these rankings d- deservedly so. I think since that pivot point, 
Durant has been his. I just don't think people realize what we're going to plink and he's going to be like the third leading scorer of all time with 50, 40, 90 shooting numbers, yeah. essentially for his career. Like, I, I think he's being, if you have him 16, 17, 15, I just think that's going to be too low. Yeah. And then, you know, he is one of the poster dudes for the super team era. Him and LeBron, I would say, are the, are the two guys. You know, but that's. That's just the the, the league that uh, they play in these days, and they've helped shape it that way. Um, but I don't know. You can't complain about the supporting cast in Phoenix knowing what they had to give up to get you. I certainly assume that he co-signed on the Bradley Beal deal. Honestly, the, the one thing that's really hurting them, and it sounds silly, but in the, in the Aiton trade, Nobody. If you talk to people in Phoenix, none of them are are upset that DeAndre Ayton's gone. But they really, people are like, oh, I wish we did not have to give up to Monte Kamara. You know, this guy who's a, a rookie who's a number fifty-two overall pick. They loved him in Phoenix, and they hated to give him up in that deal. And he's the type of player who you talk about young talent, and he's a young, ready-made role player. Um, they miss him. They they really could have used him. So here's what would happen if Tamani Kamara were still on the Suns. And I like what Tamani Kamara has done for the Blazers. He starts and then he plays 16 minutes because he can't shoot. He's shooting 29%. I can't shoot. People say this. He, obviously, he can shoot. If he walked into your college, he's not a good he'd NBA be shooter. the best shooter on the freaking floor. He's shooting 29% from three, 41% overall, and nobody guards him. And so for as much Tamani yeah. Kamara regret is there might be he would be falling in and out of the rotation where he's still on the feeding suns it is interesting you mentioned deandre Ayton, and i just went through all the draft you know ups and downs of the phoenix suns that so much has happened with their franchise good and bad in the last five years that as you list out all these like the last 10 years of their drafts and this and trades and this and oh they get chris paul to make the final you almost forget they picked deandre Ayton over luka Doncic. <laughs> like, that's well, that's almost, it, like not only that Right after hiring Igor Kokoshkov, I always botch his name. Igor K. Kokoshkov. Kokoshkov. There you go. Igor, as their head coach, Igor, who was pretty fresh off of coaching Slovenia with a 17-year-old Luka Doncic to the freaking EuroBasket Championship, and I can tell you this: Igor had less than zero say. That was made very clear to him very early on. But he did say, hey, just to get it off my chest, I really wish we'd pick this guy and throw a big uh, offer sheet at restricted free agent Clint Capella. And if you remember, he ended up going to the staying in Houston five years, 85 million at the time. Anyways, we're going down a, a rabbit hole. That's it, it is one of the great what ifs. Meanwhile, all been- these years later, Dallas has chased Clint Capella I know on and again, off again, had tra- chased his strong, had trade, had thoughts about yes. would this guy be a good fit with Luka? Now they have Derek Lively. That book is closed. Derek Lively yes. is legit really good. Derek Lively is the is the Mavs' best hope to Luka's long-term happiness. We'll talk Mavs another day. Another, we won't, we'll talk Mavs a, a, another day when they haven't just lost at by Utah by 40 Utah. points and giving up the first triple-double in Jazz Listen, history. Listen, New Year's Eve in Salt Lake City, hashtag nightlife, baby. I think it bit them. I think it bit them. They're probably too many, too many 2% hours. 
too many two percent beers or whatever whatever it is hey listen if you get if you get draft beers they're they're no more than five percent but you can get those five percenters there these days tim mcmahon uh enjoy the game tonight i'm jealous hopefully you get a classic um two great teams full of all just really interesting players across the board uh thank you for your time you'll be on the hoop collective uh for friday is the next hoop collective for you or tomorrow my my phone is buzzing right now of Wendy trying to uh to uh, schedule it, but I do believe we'll come out on Friday. All right. Well, I listen. I am a regular Hoop Collective listener, and uh, look out for everything Tim writes. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, brother. Adios, amigos. Bye.